I'm Mike Durning, one of the teaching team here, and it falls to me to introduce our guest speaker today, Jordan Barrett. Uh, uh, just before he and his wife leave for Papua New Guinea in just a few weeks, uh, last chance to hear from them. I've known Jordan since he was four years old. A lot has changed since then. He's taller for one thing. Uh, I have watched as he moved from an awkward child to an arguably troubled teen. During those teen years, Jesus got hold of his life and he moved from troubled teen to a passionate follower of Jesus. And from that to a student of God's word, to a husband, and then, uh, by the way, married to one of the most remarkable women I've ever met. And then a father and a pastor elder in his home church. And as they prepared for the mission field, it's been exciting to watch all that the Lord has done. At some point along the way, very early in that, we also became very good friends. Great missionaries aren't usually flashy. They wouldn't make used car salesmen very well, unlike some TV preachers. Uh, but they are real, and in some ways they're heroes. And because they are real, they're worth listening to. In just a moment, Jordan comes to preach for us, but before that, Emily comes to sing for us. Oh, already here. Yeah, again, a last chance to hear from them before they depart for the field in Papua New Guinea. Emily? Well, good morning, Lakeside family. Good morning. It is really good to be here with you before we embark on our journey. Uh, my name is Jordan, as Mike said, and my wife, Emily, and our four children will be leaving in a little less than a month. I'm getting some feedback. Is that better? Okay, thank you. So when I was approached to prepare a message, I wanted to leave you guys encouraged. I wanted to um, encourage you, and specifically, uh, the Psalms kind of stood out to me. And so what better place to start in the book of the Psalms but Psalm 1? And... The title of my sermon this morning is The Joy of Knowing God. Who here's a history buff? Any history buffs? In World War II, this was way back before texting, email, social media, <laughs> when soldiers would write letters to their loved ones, it would take sometimes months for that letter to get to their sweethearts or parents. And then for them, it would take the same amount of time to receive letters. And a lot of those men, they enlisted, some were drafted, but many enlisted with the hope of becoming a hero, of serving their country. But over time, with the smoke of enemy fire and hunger, exhaustion, that dream wasn't enough to keep them going. And I believe those letters from loved ones met a very important need that they had to motivate them. It filled them with hope and joy of one day returning to their family. What this example shows us is the power of the written word. When we hear something that's notable, it stands out to us, Often, if we don't write it down, we kind of forget it, and it becomes a fuzzy memory. But just consider, if letters from people are that powerful to influence us, how powerful is the words of our Creator God? Just consider Genesis. How did He create the universe? He spoke it into existence. By the power of His words, He created all things. And by this, we see that communication was 
by God's definition, meant to be bring about life and goodness, not to destroy or be hurtful. And so our big ideal idea from Psalm 1 this morning is, you know what? Can you hand me my Bible? The frequency, uh, the, the depth of joy that we experience in our walk with God and the things that pertain to our faith as believers has much to do with the amount of time that we spend in this book, reading it, understanding it, and living it out. And hopefully you recognize that this is just no ordinary book, but is God's letter to us. And Psalm 1 is all about abundant joy. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, how this leads to our joy as believers. This idea of joy has really been on my heart, Emily's heart, lately as we uh, have been preparing to go to Papua New Guinea. We're, we're really excited. This has been our dream for almost a decade, and now it's finally going to happen. But we know from our time in training and many conversations with seasoned missionaries that there's hardships. Life is hard over there. That honeymoon phase of all the newness eventually is going to fade away as reality sets in. The reality that it's 100 degrees and 100% humidity every day and there's no air conditioning. The reality that a lot of the foods and activities I enjoy back home are not available in my new country. You guys know I like fishing. I may not be able to fish for months, but that's okay. The reality that the people that I care so much about reaching with the gospel will probably lie, steal, and use us to get what they want. And it's in those times that we need something more to keep us moving forward than just this dream of being missionaries. We need a growing relationship with our God, our Creator God. We need to hear from Him daily. And this is how we hear from Him, by spending time in His Word. This is how He communicates to us. I was listening to a message recently where a pastor was identifying words and phrases that we often use in church that have kind of become cliche, like trust in the Lord. Uh, the, the, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And we use those words, but sometimes we don't appreciate what they mean or we don't even know what they mean. Especially if you're new to church or a, a new believer or just visiting here for the first time, you've probably heard people here say that and ask yourself, how do I get that? What does that look like? If that's you, I think you're in the right place. But even if it's not, if you've been walking with the Lord for many years, I think there's a lot to unpack from Psalm 1. And I hope to encourage you this morning and to leave you with some practical steps that will motivate you to make the joy of the Lord not just an abstract concept, but a, a reality for your life. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. 
The words will be up on the screen as well. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 1 is speaking of life figuratively as a footpath. I didn't advance my slides. Here we go. And there's two paths being presented to us, two paths that are being contrasted. Uh, the, the path of the righteous on one side, the path of those who are seeking and, and choosing to follow God, and then the path of the wicked, those who have rejected God's authority. And the first word that's, that is in Psalm 1 is joy, or um, most Bible translations say blessed. But the idea is great happiness. If there was ever a person who was too happy, Psalm 1 The person of Psalm 1 would be it. For the sake of anybody who is new to church, new to Bible terms, when the Bible describes someone as righteous or blameless, it does not mean perfect. What it means is that God has said that they are righteous through faith. You might ask, what is faith? Faith is trusting that God is who he says he is. And that what he says is true, and if what he says is true, it has bearing to weigh in on my life. And if it's true, then I should be compelled to read it often, to understand it and live by it. And it's in this process that Psalm 1 describes the righteous as experiencing this abundant joy. And I think joy plays an important role in our lives, just like the let, receiving those letters did for the soldiers. It motivated them to do the good works that God has prepared them to do and for us to do. In verse 1, the joy of the righteous is first described partially by the people they don't follow, the paths that they don't follow, the people they don't draw close to or look up to as examples. I'm sure you're all familiar with the saying, Bad company corrupts good character. A great example of this that you could probably all relate to is uh, in the workplace or even in your families. There's always somebody who is just angry and bitter and they have an axe to grind. And they're not the most pleasant people to bring around, to be be around. And they tend to bring everybody else down around them. In a similar way, verse 1 is saying to the righteous or to to believers, don't become buddies with people who reject God, who mock him and mock morality. It's not going to have a positive influence on your walk with the God, your walk with God. Your experience of joy as a believer depends partially on this. Now, I don't think in most instances you need to quit your job because of 
working with unbelievers. In fact, we should be friends with unbelievers, sincerely, and not just for evangelism. And we must also live in this world to evangelize. But if by spending any amount of time with them leads you to despising the Lord or pursuing sin, then that's a problem. I believe God would have us persevere through the difficulties of working in these environments so that we can be a light, so that we can influence. And that's exactly it. The line that's being drawn here is influence. Who is influencing who? We tend to be influenced most by the people we spend most of our time around. So this is an area that we need to pray and ask for discernment in. God, is this person drawing me away from you, or am I being drawn closer to you? And I I notice for myself, I have many friends who are not believers, and it actually causes me to draw closer to the Lord because I realize how inadequate I am how weak I am, and I I want to be an example to them to show them the way, and I need God's help to do that. But I've had other friendships that, because of my own weaknesses, I've had to draw away from, and I've had to not necessarily cut off the relationship, but spend less time in in those relationships. So, moving on to verse two, instead of delighting in these other paths or in the paths of the wicked, the righteous delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Just like the soldiers of World War II who were eager to read the letters, the righteous find great delight in the Lord's instruction. When the Bible says the law of the Lord, when it references itself as law of the Lord, uh, we often think Ten Commandments. But this just simply means the whole Bible, all of Scripture. And so the righteous delights in all of the Lord's instruction, which includes many stories and narratives that show how people should live and how God interacts with, with his children. When we delight in something, we think about it often. Some of you know that I enjoy fishing, and to say enjoy It's probably not a strong enough word. Uh, Obsessed would probably fit that description. And when I plan a fishing trip, I find that the closer I get to that date, the more my mind drifts to being on a pier or on the boat, and I'll think about what lures I'm going to use. And when that day comes, man, it's great. I I love fishing. But when it's over, it's over. All I have is a memory And I have 364 more days to do many things that I don't enjoy enjoy as much as fishing. (laughs) Taking the garbage out, stressful days at work, changing dirty diapers, all the things that we all do. And I find that it's from spending time with God and his word that I am reminded of the value he places on faithfulness in the daily activities of life, the mundane things, the small things. That I, we, we have this tendency to think that we have to serve God in big ways, but sometimes I'm serving God by washing dishes or helping Emily when she's had a long day with the kids. I think there's stability that comes from being in God's Word often because we spend most of our time doing things we don't enjoy doing. 
And if you look at our culture, TGIF, right? Thank God it's Friday. They're always looking forward to the next big thing or the weekend, but they're miserable the rest of the week. And so Psalm 1 is saying, look, there's a better path, a more fulfilling path that gives purpose and meaning to everything that we do, not just the good times. So this is what I I think we see in verse 3, the stability that comes from drawing close to God and his word. It says that that person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The illustration of a tree planted by streams of water, I think, kind of falls flat for us here. We don't have a shortage of water or trees, but this psalm was written in an arid environment, a desert. And so if you're a weary traveler and the, the sun is bearing down on you and you look out and you'd, you'd notice a clump of trees, even if it was miles away, right? It would stand out. And that's the picture here. The, the person would see the trees and say, hey, there's shade, there's f- potentially food, but most importantly, there's water, right? You need water for trees to grow. Water is a matter of life or death in the desert. And so an observation I make here is that when we as God's children are feeding ourselves, are, are drinking from his words of life, we are like billboards to people, this thirsty world around us. Hey, we don't have the answers. We can't help you with, with what you need most, but we know the one who can't. There's anyone in recent history who stands out as, oh, there I go again. Maybe I should have let you do the slides. <laughs> Usually I'm really good at this. Uh, if, some, if there's anyone in recent history who stands out as, as a tree planted in, by streams of water in a desert, man, it's Corey Ten Boom. Born to a Dutch Christian family during World War II when the Nazis were occupying Europe, Corey, her sister and father, hid Jews in their house, which eventually led to them being arrested and sent to prison and then later to a concentration camp. And it was in this environment, this desert environment of a concentration camp with a smuggled Bible that Corey and her sister led many women to Christ and encouraged many others who were suffering in the same way that they were. She could have lost her life many times, and that I encourage you to look up the stories of where her and her companions trusted God. And that trust came from what they knew from God's word, being in this often. You and I can have that same confidence. Sometimes we think, oh, that's... That's, we're inspired by that, but we think, I could never do that. But we can have the same confidence because the same God that protected and led Corey is the same God that we worship this morning. It's not about our strength to muster up or our confidence or courage. It's about the worthiness of the object of our confidence. That's what gives us courage. It's Almighty God, not me. Last observation for verse 3. Um, it says, whatever they do prospers. I used to own this basic, on, I think it's on the left here, the most basic model, but I, I was tempted to buy one of the deluxe models of Swiss Army knives because you can do way more tasks with it, right? 
the more we're in the Word of God, I think we equip ourselves to be used by God in more diverse ways. We're feeding ourselves. We can't offer to a thirsty world what we don't have. And so another important reason to be in God's Word often. And I, I think in that process, we're, we're filled with joy because we're seeing the work that God is doing in our lives. And it brings fulfillment and satisfaction so up to this point, we've looked at the abundance and the, the success and enjoy, joy of the righteous, and there's a contrast being made, and we see that starting in verse 4. Not so the wicked, they're like chaff that blows away. So where pursuing God leads the believer to experiencing joys and stability, rejecting him leads to emptiness and instability. Chaff is farmer talk for the husk of, that surrounds the grain of wheat. And in Bible times and even modern times in some places, the, the wheat is placed on a platform and beaten until the grain falls out. And every now and then they'll scoop up the, the stalks and the husk and it just blows away in the wind. It's worthless. There's no use for it. And because the wicked attach themselves to what is empty because they're not attached to the one who has permanence, they're blown away. They lose in the end. Verse 4 carries a compelling message to those who reject God's authority. Don't keep going down that path. It may seem good now, but when it's over, it's over. That's it. It's also a warning to us who know Jesus. Don't envy the people of the world who put their trust and their hope and find fulfillment in wealth, in good times, in people. Everything they've worked so hard for will be forgotten and lost. And in the end, they will be lost. I was watching a show recently about ghost towns in the U.S. I don't know if anyone here has visited any of these, but back in the 1800s, early 1800s, gold was discovered out west. And people began flocking out west to strike it rich. And mining towns were set up to accommodate the flood of people. But as the gold deposits became scarce, so did the people. Right? There wasn't any reason for them to stay there. A lot of these places were desolate. There was no food or water. And so you can actually visit some of these well-preserved towns. But despite them being well-preserved, they're, they're rotting and decaying. They're empty. So in our fast-paced world, take time to invest in what is eternal. Isaiah 40, chapter 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And so the work that God does in our lives through reading this often not only impacts us in a positive way, but it also impacts others. And that will last into eternity. We can't take any of this peripheral stuff with us, but we can take people with us and the, the impact that God's word makes on our lives. Moving into verse 5, we see the ultimate end of the wicked. Therefore, the wicked will not, will, will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For those who look around at the evil in our world, especially today, I'm sure there's a lot of things weighing down on you even this morning, Psalm 1 shouts, Keep watching. 
Every, all of the evil and wickedness that you see will be blown away. And we're on the side that wins. But to the rest of the world, make sure you're on the right side. I believe that we see, in our, even in our um, God-rejecting culture, a desire for justice, for good to triumph over evil. There's some irony there, right? Rejecting God, and yet they can't deny the, the God desire that's placed on their heart to see good triumph over evil. But you and I have the true story. We don't have to fall for the counterfeit because we know how it ends. It's exciting. There will be a day when all evil will be judged and people will be held accountable for their sin who have rejected and not accepted God's way. This is described in Matthew 13 and Revelation 20. No one will be able to escape God on that day. Those who reject him until the, the end or until they die will face future judgment and then afterwards an eternity in the lake of fire, which was never created for man but for Satan and the angels that rebelled. But because men and women choose to follow Satan in, in his rebellion, they will go to the same place. The unbelieving world, as I said before, they find their joy and their fulfillment in wealth and good times and people. And not necessarily, I'm not saying these things are wrong, but if we are putting our hope in these things to the exclusion of God who gives us joy, then that's a problem. These things will pass away. And in the end, those who worship them will be judged for worshiping them because only God is worthy of our worship. We're often uncomfortable with talking about the Ten Commandments. You know, we don't want to sound judgmental. But people can appreciate the way that God has made for them through Jesus without understanding that they have broken his laws. They've committed cosmic treason against the creator of the universe. Not long ago, you finished the series on the Holy Spirit, what he does in, in us and what he does for us. And one of the functions that the Spirit does in people is to convict them of sin. But how does he do that? Through the hearing of the law. Our job isn't to make people feel guilty. The law will do that. The Spirit will do that. And we can trust God to do his work. He just simply asks us to present the law to them, not to follow, but to show them like a mirror, hey, you, you fail to measure up to his perfect standards. And only then can they appreciate the way that God has made through Jesus. If you're hearing this and you're wondering, maybe you're new to church what are God's laws? I don't want to assume that you know what that is. And you're wondering, how do I avoid judgment for breaking them? If that's you, please come after the service and talk with myself or Pastor Nate or Mike. We would be more than happy to talk with you about not only what God's laws are and how you've broken them, but most importantly, the way that God has made for you to, to have your guilt removed and to know that you will spend eternity in heaven So we're nearing the end of Psalm 1, verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The Lord watches over his own. This is meant to encourage us 
Keep in mind that Psalm 1 is not about being a good person or a better person or self-betterment, but is about being changed by God. And the number one way in which he changes us is through this. And it's through being in his word daily that we find fulfillment, genuine joy, as he is working in us through his word. Sometimes we fall into that performance mindset and we, we feel like, you know, I got to keep doing this or that, and if I don't, he's standing behind me with a big stick ready to strike. And this isn't at all what we should be understanding from this verse. Instead, it's like this picture of a father walking down this path with his son. He's watching over us. It's a message of hope to the believer. Yes, you live in a broken world with misfortunes and sadness, but guess what? There's a better way. You don't have to live with the ups and downs like everybody else does. I'm with you. Let me show you the way. One of the first and greatest joys that we experience is knowing that God has truly and sincerely forgiven us. He's not like people, right? Sometimes we say, I forgive you, but we struggle with that. We hold on to bitterness. We keep ledgers, but God doesn't do that. And when we can accept that and trust him, man, that produces a lot of joy. And it's from this joy and this love for what God has done for us that good works and a desire to serve God and others flows out of. It's not the other way around. In Exodus, Israel was delivered out of Egypt. And if, if, like I said earlier, if you're new to church, the Old Testament is full of amazing stories. And I think this one is kind of the, the climax of the Old Testament. God rescues his people out of slavery to the Egyptians. And they're at the Red Sea, and on both sides, there's nowhere else for them to go. And the Egyptian army is pursuing them behind. But God opens up a way for them through the Red Sea. And they're able to cross over to the other side. And as the chariots are going through, the, God brings the waters back down. He delivers his people. He saves them from their enemy. We have an enemy too. Satan wants to kill and destroy. He hates God. He hates all of God's children. But Jesus defeated Satan, death, sin, on the cross. He took our punishment so that we don't have to go to the lake of fire. The, the only thing that prevents us from experiencing this joy is our own sin. It distorts how we see the circumstances and things going on around us, but God is greater than that. And so this is a message of hope. We're nearing the end. The second line of verse 6, the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Sin is the ultimate cause of death. We tend to think of death, you know, in the, the physical sense, but uh, it impacted not only eventually they would, would die physically, but that closeness, that relationship they had with God, the source of their joy was cut off. And I meant to bring in a branch this morning. 
to illustrate this from our backyard. I was going to break a branch off, so I'm going to describe it to you. So if you take a branch off of your tree, a tree in your backyard, the leaves will look green and healthy, but is that branch still alive? It's dead. Why? It's cut off from its life source. When Adam and Eve chose independence from God, when they, they believed the lie that God is withholding good from me, he's withholding joy from me, I'm going to do this, even though he said not to do it, because I believe I know what's better. In that moment, sin came into the world. Death started. The only way that that branch can be made alive again is to be brought back into the tree. And that's what Jesus essentially does for us. And this impacts not only our relationship with God for eternity, but also, I believe, the joy that God, God is the creator of joy. He's the truest source of our joy. And it was by disobeying the word of God that Adam and Eve fell into sin. And so for us to restore that, for God to restore that, we have to seek him earnestly to understand how to live. So we're nearing the end of the message here. I think I'm doing good on time, maybe even early. Big idea. The depth of joy we experience as believers, again, it has much to do with the frequency we read, understand, and follow this book. First challenge question. Do you delight in spending time with, with God, being in his word? Or do you feel that other things creep up and compete for your attention? I don't have this down pat. I struggle, you know, especially lately. We've been so busy. It's been easy for me to say, you know what? Today, I, I got to do this important work. Good stuff, well-intentioned, but I keep putting it off. I keep putting it off. And I'm missing out on, on what God might do the rest of that week because of not being in his word. I've had moments where people reached out to me for help and, and what I was reading just a few days earlier allowed me to be able to speak into to their life. This is what God's been teaching me and it, it correlated right with what they were dealing with. But if I don't do that, I'm missing out on an opportunity. And some, some weeks I just feel empty, like, wow, why do I feel so empty? Well, I missed out on time with him. And then the second challenge question relates to the first one. What are habits or daily changes in your routine that should, you should make to prioritize spending time with God and his word? For me, you know, maybe not staying up as late. And then last, uh, relationships that might be negatively influencing your walk with God. And I'm not saying to just end relationships with, with unbelievers, no. But be real with yourself. Recognize when you know, people are having more of an influence over you than the other way around. And maybe not spend as much time in those relationships. It's not about being good. It's about being changed by God. Joy is an important part of our lives as believers. It gives us the, 
strength to keep pushing forward, the motivation to do those little things, right? Because God values faithfulness in the small things. So today is a new day. If, if you're struggling with experiencing joy, it doesn't mean that you're not on God's side, but it might mean that you need to just be honest with yourself and with him. I haven't been feeding myself lately. I can't be used by you because I'm starving. Take that time to build those godly habits into your life. His grace is more than sufficient. We sung the song earlier. Uh, part of the chorus was, I need to be reminded I belong to you. I wrote that down because I didn't want to forget it. But this is how God reminds us. And if we're not in this, we have the tendency to forget. I know as a parent, I have to repeat myself often with our small children, sometimes every day. Abigail, don't pick up your siblings. And what does she do every day? She picks them up. I have to think God is the same way with us, even as adults. There are things that we do over and over again, but he's patient, he's gracious, and loving. Last, uh, remember, I did a terrible job with my slideshow. In the end, we're on the side that wins. I think you guys probably need to hear that because our country is going through so much upheaval. There's so much evil that's being called good. And we wonder, where do we, how do we deal with this? How do we respond to this? Well, it's not on us. God is in control. He's sovereign. We can trust him to work those details out. Just be faithful in and where you are at. And know that you're on the side that wins. Let's pray. Father God, I just praise you and thank you for the privilege of being here this morning. And I thank you for all of your children who are here. I just pray that this message would be a blessing and encouragement and to speak, that you would speak to their hearts, be with them this week. And I pray that today and this week might be a new, new week for them as far as prioritizing time in your word. I pray that you'd bless them through that, that you'd use them, help them to be an impact on this community. And I pray that they would just have uh, an effect that would just bring praise to Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name.